0: all right Josh Smith here live at my Flat five studios today my guest is a good friend who's coming to us live from Boston Massachusetts uh, he's an incredibly great guitar player and artist musician also man I've been so inspired by him over the years uh, by I mean I've been hearing his name even before that first record came out you know from seeing you with Peter Wolf and with different guys and you were always an inspiration. On you know a guy who was a real working man's musician, who then would go out and do his own thing, and able to balance the two, and then eventually your own thing turned into the main thing, and that was a giant inspiration for me. I'm just a big fan man, and I'm glad we've become friends. And it's an honor to have you. Everybody, welcome Johnny A.
1: Oh, Josh, that's sweetie man. I'm a I'm a big fan of your playing, and uh, fortunately, we've got gotten a chance to play it together a couple times, and. Uh, very inspiring play it blow me away every time every time
0: thank you thank you man that's kind of you to say and i i appreciate it and thank you for doing this so man i kind of start all these out the same way because i'm really interested in guys very beginnings like how the guitar ends up in their hands for me it was incredibly random i don't have any other guitar players in my family or really any real musicians in my family Um, So it was just a complete random occurrence. How did it happen for you? Are you from a musical family? And how did the guitar end up in your hands?
1: Uh, Not at all. Um, I was inspired to be a drummer first. So when I was really, really young, about six, I took drum lessons for about five years or so. And uh, this is going way, way back now, Josh. Uh, And then in 1964, in February, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, um, it just blew my mind hearing all that melody and just, I was in, incredibly inspired to want to play guitar at that point. And, uh, I got a little electric, cheap electric guitar. My mom bought me, you know, one of those, uh, Lafayette electronics guitar cost $49 <laughs> or something with little matching amplifier. And, uh, I just set on a path to try to, you know, become a guitarist, um, uh, self-taught, uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that's just kind of the way I came up. I was self-taught and, uh, I started playing in bands as a guitarist when I was, I guess, about twelve years old, um, and and that was it. I don't come from a musical family in regards to anybody playing music. Although uh, both my parents were extremely uh, passionate about music, my mom was a huge blues type fan, and my dad was into big band and Duke Ellington and and Benny Goodman and 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 all that stuff. So I think there was always a lot of music around the house and great music. Um, And I just kind of fed off of that. And um, like I said, when the British invasion thing happened, because I was prime years, I was like probably 12, 13 years old when that happened. And uh, it just floored me, all that music and those arrangements and the harmony. And and it just uh, it just drove me to want to do that.
0: Man, so it's really interesting to me generationally, you know, obviously there's all these like giant Big Bang moments where depending on what generation you're from, something sets the spark. So obviously the Beatles, you see them on Ed Sullivan and, and that happens. There had to be, I mean, I know there is just from reading about it, just an explosion of instrument sales like you did, like your parents went and bought you that guitar. So did did you know tons of guys your age around the neighborhood who were doing the same? And did you oh, yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah!
1: There was just so many, you know, neighborhood bands. It was incredible. You know, which guy had the silver tone with the built-in amplifier in the case, and which guy yeah. had the, you know, uh, the guy that was actually playing in my band when I before I switched over to guitar and I was a drummer. He had an Esquire because he was very much into the Yardbirds and Jeff Beck at the time, and he had an Esquire, which was wow. He's got a Fender guitar. I was like wow, because <laughs> you know? everybody else had these really cheap you know, Radio Shack-type guitarists. Right. But yeah, there was all kinds of guys. It was, you know, always a battle of the bands back then. They had battles of the bands and school talent shows and high school dances and all that stuff. So there was a great outlet to basically learn by doing, you know?
0: Yeah, it's amazing, I think, and somewhat overlooked, how important having peers your age learning all that stuff at the same time that you're hanging out with how much that helps you grow so quickly. Like I, you know, I'm listening to blues and jazz as a 12 year old in 1990 something. And none of my friends want anything to do with any of that. If I had any friends who played music, they were only into Nirvana or coming out of eighties metal at that time. You know what I mean? Uh So it was like, I couldn't relate so I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have just tons of friends you know buying guitars and learning rolling stones or beatles tunes or yardbirds tunes it, yeah it had to be really conducive to growing quickly you know
1: yeah and, and it was great and it was not competitive it was very friendly and you know you got to think at that time like you're talking about the british invasion everybody's starting to pick up instruments everybody was at the same level there was like not very many people that were like way way above the bar you know so everybody's learning hey i just learned this new chord check out this ninth chord you know yeah. um everybody was le- well where do you put your fingers for that so yeah. and it, it was very very non-competitive and everybody was really helpful with each other it was a good time it was a great what time what about
0: what about school during that time did was there any music in school for you at that time or, or yeah was it all when
1: nonsense? i when i was they always had a music program and i remember early early on like first second grade they would give you these little um plastic recorders they were called flutophones everybody played that you learned to read a little and then uh as you got into middle school or the maybe not quite middle school maybe like fifth grade or something like that you had to pick an instrument and i picked violin so i was you know kind of you don't want to hear that. That's like that sounded like nails on the on the chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there was always music and um, something to inspire you musically school. Like I said, school, my 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 home life, my mom and stuff like that. Extremely uh, passionate about music. Matter of fact, she's the one that bought me Beatle tickets and took me to see Jimi Hendrix when I was a kid. So it was wow. uh, yeah, amazing.
0: What'd she think of Jimi Hendrix? when you went loves Jimi Hendrix and she's
1: That's still true. with us. My mom is uh, my mom is 88 years old. She'll be 89 in January. Um, but she loves Hendrix and she's just a a complete music nut. She loves music.
0: Man, so you you were there uh, speaking of Hendrix. Obviously, you were there at the ground zero moment when when that record came out. My dad has explained it to me, you know, like he was into the Stones and Beatles and he said Purple haze came on the radio in his car. And actually, he was in Boston. He went to Boston University. Um, He's from Connecticut, though. And he said he pulled over the car because he thought he was hearing aliens or something like that. And he thought it was the coolest thing he'd ever heard. He went right to the record store and bought it. And he's not a musician. But he said even to him, it was such a huge thing. So I can't imagine what it was like to you when you first heard that.
1: Yeah, by that point, I was playing guitar. So, um, and playing in a band. So, R U Experience came out And heard Purple Haze, just like your dad, totally floored, like, what is this all about? And not only just the guitar sounds, but just the way they affected the voice and all all that stuff. It was just so like nothing. It was like otherworldly. It was definitely Alien. And then I went and bought the album. And it was great because you had vinyl and albums and you had that album cover that was taken with that fisheye lens and his hands looked huge, which they were anyway, but you just see this guy and he was like a an alien, you know? And then I remember, you know, being in my bedroom and listening to that album, shut all the shades, put on the black light, had all the day glow posters on the wall and Are You Experience came on and it was like my jaw just dropped to the ground and I don't think it's come off the ground yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, I remember even just me personally when my dad first put on are you Experience in the house on vinyl for me thinking this is the craziest stuff i've ever heard you know and i and i had already been playing guitar at that time like i you know i got into bb king and albert king first but my dad was always listening to he's a he's a rock and roll guy so he was always listening to stones hendrix allman brothers whatever and um yeah i just i couldn't fathom how he he ended up where he ended up as but i was always more just like interested in what it must have meant to guys hearing it when it actually came out then because it had to be such a culture shock
1: well i'll tell you one moment for me that was really insane was when i heard foxy lady and the intro to foxy lady and you know you gotta think that you know it's hard maybe for you to kind of put yourself in that position but for a guy like me you never heard that sound before. That whole, you know, that. Yeah. You never, never heard that. It was like, what is that? Could yeah. never figure it out until I saw him live because I was so close to him that, you know, it's just, you know, rubbing your finger against the fret like that. And, uh, but it, it sounded like some kind of computer alien stuff when you first heard it. You never heard anything like it now it's different everybody's got all kinds of sounds and yeah you know there's so much to see on youtube it's easy to discover how things were done but back then forget it
0: yeah yeah unbelievable man so as you st- okay so as you start getting in all these bands and playing around town with your friends and like you said there's the battles of the bands and the garage bands and the neighborhood bands when do things start to shift to you know, you you maybe get a, make a little money at a gig or something, and the, you know, you, we all know that moment where, like, the little light bulb goes off, and you go, "I think I could do this like forever." You know, when when was that?
1: Well, I um, well, I kind of like always made money at gigs. My very first gig that I played, I was a drummer. I was nine years old. <laughs> My dad used to work for the uh, New England telephone company. He used to climb pole and install phones and stuff. And they had a telephone company party. And uh, they hired our band to do it, and I remember we got, I think, twenty-five dollars in pizza, K- kind of <laughs> like what I make now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
0: things have not uh, changed that drastically. Not for that us.
1: drastically, but um, <laughs> I can remember, um, and it's interesting uh, how I got a band, how I got a gig playing guitar in a band. And you know, I was practicing guitar and uh, getting pretty good for a, you know, a twelve, thirteen-year-old, and um, I was still really playing drums in a band. But this rival band was doing a show outside on a Saturday at a pizza parlor outside in the parking lot. And I guess the guys, uh, the guitar player, Kenny, uh, had a fight with his girlfriend and was not showing up for the gig. So they called me and they said, hey, can you come fill in? I had never played in a band before at a rehearsal or anything. And I went and I did the gig as a guitarist, first time ever playing with a band. And they hired me. And I got the gig, and then I never played drums again. It was just wow. that time. And, but talking about like more professionally, and, and that would have been more like around '74 for me. I answered an ad for this band up in Portland, Maine, that supposedly was going to be uh, managed by Three Dogs Night. Three Dog Night's manager, and they were going to move to LA and all this other stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Sold my car, moved up to Portland, Maine, joined the band. They didn't get the management deal. I ended up uh, kicking around Portland, Maine for a couple of years. Then came back to Boston, put together rock bands and just was gigging. You know, the Boston music scene back then when it was like 78, 76, 79 was extremely vibrant. You always had a a huge blues scene in Boston. You always had a huge uh, jazz scene because of Berklee um there was a big folk scene they had the you know the Taylors, Kate Taylor Livingston Taylor James Taylor uh, Bonnie Raitt was here for a while Van Morrison was here for a while so there were a lot of singer-songwriter clubs as well as rock clubs so it was a great great environment to uh, grow up at that time and be able to work
0: yeah and make money and okay so when you when you when how old were you when you moved to Portland Maine for that gig
1: um i was that would have been 74 uh probably 21.
0: 21. so by this point i mean by 21 you're you know you're an adult they you know and you kind of said but when when you finish high school and you know this is what you're gonna do what did your parents think of that you know of uh the the full you know what whatever full-fledged ahead path of music you know
1: Uh, I never got any resistance. Uh, uh, My mother was extremely, uh, my mom and my dad got divorced when I was four. So I I was really brought up by my mom and, uh, and my aunt, Helen, uh, whose husband died right around the time my mom got divorced. So it was me and my cousin, Sue, my mother and my aunt living in the one house. And um, they were always really, really supportive. It was never like, well, yeah, you can do this on the side, but why don't you get a job? And, you know, I did try to appease them, and and I did go to college. Um, excuse me, I lasted, you know, maybe a semester and a half. I went to a business college, and um, but uh, and I did, I confess, I did go to Berkeley for um, maybe a semester and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. I just was terrible. I mean, I failed everything. Uh, the only thing I was really good at was my ear training, and you know, I went for arranging and composition. And I had good ears. I could tell intervals. But as far as, like, when they gave me tests, I flunked everything. <laughs> it was
0: horrible in <laughs> school. Crazy. So it was you, I mean, you know, like like many of of us and whatever. You just knew, and there was no stopping you. So, yeah, you tried, you know, you went to Berkeley, you went to business college. But you already knew in your heart what you were going to be and what you were going to do. And, you know, it was just a matter of finding the outlet the right way and how you where you were going to end up but there was there was no turning back and i think man it's amazing how how often i talk to guys you know and you think oh it's always people telling you you can't make a living doing that and you should do this and you need to have this fallback plan the guys who are successful all have parents who understood the need for us to do this because we had no choice you know and and it's amazing how important that is
1: yeah, I agree. Agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so so then you're done with college, you go up to Portland, Maine, you're playing all these gigs, come back to Boston, going from rock band to rock band. I know you played in in a bunch of bands around Boston. Um did did I mean, did you ever get frustrated with the path, you know, once you're in that that kind of once you're in the, you know, in the trenches and you're just that working man, working guitar, playing gigs all, all week? Did you ever get to, to that frustration point
1: yeah i mean after the paul and maine thing you know i started to kind of get into fusion music and progressive rock music i was a big fan of um john mclaughlin I was a big fan of um bill connor's with uh, return to forever oh, yeah um a big fan of robert fripp and king crimson as a matter of fact When I left the band in Maine, I flew to um, London to audition for Bill Bruford. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, it was after he left Yes. And just uh, after he left Crimson, he was putting a new thing together. And he hadn't had it established, but I I stayed with him for the better part of a week and at his house. And we jammed a lot together. But after that experience, it was like, you know, I'm just going to go back to Boston, put together a kind of a pop rock band, something like that has Beatles has Beatles style harmonies and Everly Brothers style vocals, but with a hard edge. And mm. that was this band called The Streets that I had. And that came extremely close to getting a record deal. We were on tour with Aerosmith in 77, 78, opening up for everybody, Bob Seger, New York Dolls, Johansson, all these people. Never really happened. Um put a bunch of other bands together. And this was in the whole scene when bands like the Cars were coming up and, um, you know, all these bands, the Nervous Eaters, uh, punk, just before the punk scene. And then the punk scene broke and I was kind of like a fish out of water with the kind of the music that I did. Um, I had a child, my wife got pregnant and I said, oh, I got to make money. So I did get a job. I worked for about three years for Tom Scholz, you know, the guitarist from Boston. Yeah, Rockman, yeah. I worked for his company, Scholz R&D, as his audio tester. Um, and then I went into sales repping. And, um, you know, I would be a manufacturer's sales rep for some major companies. And it was during that time that I got called by Peter Wolf to do mm-hmm. to do his gig. And I was doing that. We were doing it on the weekends, these little little junkets and stuff like that. And then he asked me to co-produce his his album on Warner Brothers. So I had to make a decision. I asked my boss for leave of absence for 60 days to do the record. And he wouldn't give it to me. So I just took the risk and I left the job because it was a dream come true. You know, I had never made a real record at that point. Never been on the radio with my own label or or, or, uh, on a label or anything like that. And Peter was handing me this great opportunity to go from a local guy in Boston to get onto the national stage or international stage, actually. So I recorded the record. I was his musical director for about eight years. And um, and when it ended, that's when I put the Sometime Tuesday morning and my instrumental career together, because I was forced to become an instrumental artist because when I was on the road with Wolf, I got this extremely bad case of laryngitis and a bronchial infection took my singing voice away because prior to what I do now, I was a vocalist and I just couldn't sing anymore. So I said, well, you know, whoever delivers the melody, that's the sound of your band. So I just said, let me work on my chops to become a instrumentalist and figure out, try to figure out a sound. That's how that started 20 years ago.
0: And I mean, but that record, you I mean you made that record on your own before it got picked up and and yes. put out and all that you know so that's you know you already had the the idea and the realization that you you wanted to go that way and do it and I'm sure you had to be relatively surprised when it you know caught on to some degree and and you, oh, yeah and all those things started to happen because I remember I mean I had to be probably guitar player or something like that you know once once it got picked up and I remember seeing the story and going out and buying the record and reading your history, you know, and, and it was, it was like, oh, this was, because it was, as I said at the beginning, it was inspiring to me as a guy who'd played on gigs with other people, who'd been in bands, and then found a new like lane as a guitar player. That was really important to me to know it was kind of possible, especially at the time it was, you know, that's the 2000s. So that's right in my, I'm becoming an adult, you know, and realizing what I want to do with my life and figure those things out. Um, I mean, I can't imagine. It must've been just such a cool confirmation of all the hard work and, you know, time you've put into your, your playing.
1: Well, it was totally surprising. And the way that happened was totally organic and, Came out of left field. I was playing, uh, you know, it was after Wolf. He broke the band up, had to make money. I was just doing this little residency in my hometown of Salem, Massachusetts. I had a trio and I'm working on this uh, original instrumental material. And this guy came in that lived in Salem, Massachusetts, and he used to work for Polygram Records. Mm -hmm. He was a radio guy and a promotions guy. And he loved what we were doing. So he said, "Hey man, there's this guy around town that's got a local record label, but he's got national distribution. I'd like to bring him to hear the band." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, whatever. You, you hear this stuff all the time. I'm sure yeah, you do too." And uh, I said, "Sure." So the guy ends up coming in. He wants to sign me to to do an album. I agree to do it as long as I can make the record the way I want and produce it the way I want. He agrees. We go into a really nice studio. As a matter of fact, it's the same studio that the Cars recorded their very first album. And it's called Blue Jay Studios, which is not there anymore. Um, we record, We start to record the record. The guy runs out of money. He's got no money left. We can't finish the record. So I end up taking a loan out, buy all the tapes from him, finishing it myself. And I just put it out locally, not figuring anything I, You know, I know all the DJs in town from my past history. Um, and then about six months later, someone played that song, Oh Yeah, on local Boston radio on a free-form lunch. And they got a million phone calls on it. And they they ended up adding it to the rotation. One right. thing led to another. Uh, we were getting better gigs. I sold about almost 8,500 copies of that thing out of the trunk of my car at gigs. And then I was trying to get a record deal, uh, trying to upstream it. And I got a Calls from a lot of people, you know, a lot of a lot of major labels. And finally, Steve Vai called me one day. I was coming home from a rehearsal. I, there was a voice message from Steve Vai. I don't even know how he got my number. Um, and he said he loved the Wichita linemen. That's It knocked him out. He said, I, I had that thing on repeat, repeat. I, he said, I thought it was so beautiful. He said, I'd really like to put your record out. So uh, I went to LA. We had a couple meetings, had a couple talks, you know, negotiated the deal. He put the record out. The record went on sold what 160,000 copies or whatever it sold we Got number one across the country with oh yeah and um you know then i re-signed with him for another album which was the get inside album which got a grammy nomination um and then it led to the gibson deal and you know all that that path you know that meandering river you know that takes you places you don't know you're going
0: yeah Yeah. Well, i mean it's so so amazing and it is it is you could have never planned it this way you could have never thought it was going to happen like you know and and things just kind of you know you pivot and things just take the, the path like you said like a river uh, where they're supposed to go man so cool you know to have ended up where you're at now where you're you're just making music you want to make and having a good time and you know it's like we all kind of work to get to that that spot you know we do all those gigs i i mean i've done them all those sideman gigs all those sessions you know where i would prefer to be doing you know this playing playing my own tunes being on the road doing my own thing all the time and would i know how difficult that is so it had to be so so gratifying to reach a self-sustaining point with that
1: yeah it it was good but you know it's tough again now you know it's really really (laughs) tough to keep things going the way the business is. And obviously having a lockdown didn't help with all the venues closing or shutting down some permanently. So it's, it's, uh, it's rough. And then as far as like, we were just talking off air a little bit about, you know, you told me you have two albums in the can and, you know, we, we recorded this Beatle project over the lockdown and I have basically 20 songs in the can for that. And I don't even know how I want to distribute it. Uh, I don't know what medium i wanted on it's it's the strangest thing you know
0: yeah yeah there's a weird bottleneck now where it's like you know everybody expects you to immediately put this music on spotify so you've got to kind of decide okay do i put it out and get that initial surge of interest and all the people who are going to buy it anyways buy it right away and then it completely disappears which is inevitable or do you uh, hold it back and sell it just to your fans, not have it on Spotify and sell less but maybe for more money each copy? You know, or what? Do you, it's like, uh, is, what do you do? And does it even matter which w- route you choose in the end? I don't fucking know.
1: <laughs> I, I hear you, but you know the thing about me is like I've most of, probably the best part of my career is behind me. You know, so I, I'm at a point in my age where. You know, I just really am doing things for the for, for wanting to do them for no other reason. I'm not. I don't have any expectations career wise that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I'm not chasing that carrot. Um, I'm just playing music with people I want to play with, and the type of music I want to play, and that's it.
0: Which is a good place to be. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's jump into the ten questions. Okay. Number one when you first picked up the guitar and started learning and playing do you remember the first riff or lick that like just completely you couldn't believe you figured it out like that it came out and it was like i can't believe i got this and we i mean that just sets the hook like there's no turning back. this one
1: that's the first guitar solo i ever learned <laughs>
0: amazing (laughs) but i can't imagine
1: agent man by johnny rivers
0: i can't imagine i can the the amount of like excitement when you get it under your fingers it that's the greatest feeling i remember you know first figuring out you know i'm not whatever like you know bb king go and getting that you know and and playing it just like he did on the record I just couldn't believe I had figured that out. And there was no turning back after that. It's done. You're done.
1: Well, one of my prized accomplishments was being able to play an F chord because (laughs) I had such, I have very small hands. You've met me before, so we've shaken hands. I have small hands. And to have to, you know, those two fingers, and you got to remember, the guitar was probably a hunk of crap. So just trying to have the strength to push down those, the b and e string and make an f chord and once i could do that it was like yes
0: yeah yeah it's it's man those days like i just think back to all those hours sitting on the edge of my bed where i was i couldn't have complained if you asked me to i was just like literally i would have not stopped if my parents didn't make me eat or go to school you know what i mean it was just the greatest feeling
1: well one of the things that contributed to me practicing so much, I mean, I would have anyway, but when I was uh just learning to play guitar, uh, my mother discovered I had scoliosis. So I was in a full body cast for 14 months and a back brace for two years after that. Wow. And you know, I full body cast, I mean, my neck was like this, all the way down to my pelvis bone. And I couldn't turn my head. So learning to play guitar, I couldn't even see the neck of the guitar and wow and you could just stay in the house and play guitar all day
0: wow i didn't know that that's incredible yeah.
1: yeah
0: unbelievable man um okay what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar do you just have like autopilot do your hands i'll go probably somewhere? do
1: this those three chords i probably always do
0: yeah yeah, it's weird how we, we all have something. Like, what about when you get to the gig, especially if it's like a backline date, and you flip standby and you got to make sure your shit works, what's What's like the thing you do up and down the neck that, that makes sure you got the tone you need, you know?
1: It's re- usually the chords. If they ring like that, and I set, set everything to those, you know, you know, stuff like that. Uh, You know, just to hear how the... Cause I, I go for more of a cleaner tone. You know, oh. I'm i I'm, I'm a fan of that beautiful Chet Atkins clean, you know, to me, that's it's, it's, for me, it's harder to get a good clean tone than a, than a, a, an overdriven tone. There's so many ways to get a, I think that you can get a good overdriven tone, but it's, I think it's just harder to get that really pure, rich, clean tone personally. But
0: yeah, especially with some depth behind it. You know what I mean? That is, And a, and a shitty
1: backline. line. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, all right. Number four. What key style, song, groove, whatever is kind of like your personal narrative? Like, what do you hear when you're, you know, cooking eggs or walking down the street? Like for me, more than anything else, I got a shuffle going on all the time in my head. I'm just hearing something, and it never goes away, so much so like I'll have to finish the improvisation in my head before I can move on, you know? Do you have anything like that that always comes in and just shows
1: up? I think if I'm thinking about guitar, it's it's usually I I kind of my mind's ear, here's the way the way chord clusters resonate that's what i'm always listening to i'm listening to like you know that's the kind of stuff that's swirling around in my head just mm-hmm. these chords and voicings and intervals and i think that's it more than any than, than, a, than a riff or a groove or anything it's more about how um, notes interact with each other
0: so as a as a b-side to that question then when when a piece of music comes on that you've never heard before so you're hearing something for the first time do you ever take stock of like what's the first thing you think about are you paying attention to the melody the groove or are you hearing what you would personally play over it like where do you where's your mind go normally
1: i think if if uh, if something comes on that i've never heard and it kind of strikes me enough to stop and pay attention it's usually the melody that mm. I, I I react to is the melody and where it's going and its relationship to the chord. Um nice. that's it.
0: Interesting. It's so interesting. Everybody has a different thing. Like so many of my friends, you know, the first thought when they hear anything is, what would I what would I be playing over this? Because it's immediately normally what their main job is, is walk into the studio, piece of music comes up and they gotta play over the top of it. So it's automatically their first thought. But I've been trying to during the pandemic listen again to music more without that clinical thought just sit down and listen and and kind of pay attention to, like you said what's the first thing in the music that actually like just catches my attention and then that's different every time it could be the groove it could be the melody it could be the bass line it could be whatever Mm -hmm. but i i had to get out of the work mode and i realized i was listening to all music in work mode much too often you know yeah Uh, All right, number five. When did you feel like you started to maybe find your voice on the guitar? You know, was it uh, a prolonged period where, you know, little things would happen and and you started to, you know, make a left turn when you could have kept going straight because you realized, oh, this kind of sounds like me or something like that?
1: That's a good question. And uh, I think it came late for me. I, th- I mean, people have always told me, even through when I was a kid, they could always pick me out as the player. But I think for me, when I started to feel like maybe I had some kind of identity or a voice, I, I think it was sussing out how I kind of reapproached the guitar during that Sometime Tuesday morning album period, mm-hmm. you know, where I decided... Um, I got frustrated as a guitarist. I- at that time, uh, that was 1998. So how old was I in 98? I was born in 52, what, 45 years old, something like that, Mm -hmm. 40-something years old. I had been playing guitar since I was 11, so 30-something years. But I was always a guy that uh, accompanied a lead singer. You know, you play your chords, you you comp, you do your thing, and you step out and you do your 30-second guitar solo, and you step back in. And uh, I don't think it was until I lost my voice and I got frustrated with the fact that I couldn't deliver a song by myself. Um, like my mom has owned lounges and restaurants and I come from Greek heritage and we've had restaurants and lounges growing up the whole time. And she always had a piano player in the piano bar and the guy would just sit there and play the whole song completely, even not sing, just instrumentally. And I always was really enamored by that and um, a little bit envious that I couldn't do that. So once uh, I lost my voice and I was trying to discover what to do, and I really couldn't read music, Um, I forced myself, someone bought me a a two volume set of the Beatles, the complete Beatles, Mm -hmm. because I've been a Beatle freak forever. And I forced myself to learn how to read a song. And it was at that moment, and buying that ES-295 Gibson guitar that I own, that was all over that record, that's when I think I started to say, oh, okay, here's something a little different. I hear something that I really quite haven't heard before. And it, that inspired me and excited me. And then when one song turned into four, turned into 10, turned into 30, and I was able to play all these songs by myself, I think I started to get a voice. Part of it was also, I was so ignorant to being a school, school musician that the charts that I was reading, when this first song I learned was this one. <laughs> You know, it was that, and I was was learning to read it. But I didn't realize I was reading piano charts. So I'm having all these chords, like these beautiful chords that I never played before. And um, then those type of chord voicings started to morph their way into my songwriting. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when I started to kind of develop, maybe if I have any kind of identifiable sound, I think that's what caused it.
0: Well, you definitely have an, an identifiable sound. And I would say, I mean, if, if you put me on the spot and asked me about it, it would be a lot of what you just said to me. It's the way you're able to kind of exemplify an entirety of a song within your playing. Even if it doesn't mean, it, you know, it doesn't mean like you're those guys playing four parts at one time with both hands on the neck. No, you're able to do it in a like relatable way that i think is very identifiable and unique to you and i think that's pretty fucking cool thank you oh all right number six what's your biggest weakness on the guitar
1: oh i don't think i have a very strong uh picking hand uh when it comes to like picking every note and you know having velocity and dexterity and firing my, I, you know, I don't consider myself like a shredder or anything like that. You know, I uh, and maybe possibly it was never something that interested me as much as songs. I, I have to say, it's always been songs that interest me. I'm not even sure if I consider myself a guitarist as, as, as it sounds odd, but I, I almost consider myself more as a musician and a song stylist that uses the guitar as a vehicle to get my ideas out, as opposed to a guy that, is really focused on having, trying to have immense chops and, and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: don't know if that makes any sense. Um, no, it does,
0: that absolutely makes sense. Yeah.
1: So that would, I guess that would be my weakness if you're talking about, uh, I guess it would d- depend on how people view guitarists and what they want to see out of a guitarist. If if it's If you want to see someone that, you know, can shred and rip things apart and go crazy, then that's probably my weakness okay that i can't do that
0: all right fair enough who is a huge influence on your guitar playing that people would be surprised to hear
1: oh pat martino
0: oh okay yeah
1: kenny burrell
0: i'm not surprised Um, by that one (laughs) say again i'm not surprised but i could see how maybe other people would be
1: yeah you know pat martino i love pat's playing um you know, was, I went through so many different phases of what I like musically, you know, like originally we spoke, it was the British invasion. Then all of a sudden I, you know, I got into the British blues stuff and was into the whole cream, Clapton, Mayall, Peter Green, you know, and then uh, after that came uh, the, the prog rock stuff and it was yes and it was Gentle Giant and it was Michael Urbaniak with Fusion and Chick Corea and John McLaughlin and, 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 you know, I was into Robert Fripp and King Crimson. And then it went into jazz and I started to get into Wes and I started to get into, um, like I said, Pat Martino and Kenny Burrell, Johnny Smith, uh, little bit of Grant Green. Um, and then it was rediscovering Chet Atkins I mean, I just love, I think Chet Atkins was really the most elegant player I ever ever saw live. I just, I thought he was amazing. I saw him one at a NAMM show a long, long, long time ago, and he was just effortlessly, he was looked like a gentleman, you know, he's all dressed up in a beautiful suit, and, and he was just sitting there playing this amazing stuff with this amazing tone with a guitar that was so intonated every chord rang so beautiful and true i never
0: understood how he was so in tune all the time yeah his, his
1: his intonation was just amazing and uh i remember just watching him and being spellbound by his elegance and how how matter of fact it seemed to be you know
0: yeah wow all right yeah man chet just yeah something special there obviously oh yeah okay Number eight, in a gig situation, would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa, a great amp and a really bad guitar?
1: Great guitar. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I got the opportunity to jam with Jeff Beck. And we were—I was doing a rock and roll fantasy camp, and we were standing right next to each other. And he had his guitar and a beautiful half-stack Marshall, and uh, I had my signature guitar, my Gibson signature at the time. And they put me through this—what uh, the hell was it? Like a Line Six ampers, some crazy piece of shit. It sounded like—it sounded like a mosquito compared to him. It sounded oh. like a mosquito, but at least. it felt good under my hands, you know? So (laughs) what about you? Which would you rather
0: have? I'm the opposite. I I will take the the amp and whatever guitar. I'll be more comfortable with, you know, whatever guitar through an amp where I can get some headroom and a decent tone as opposed to even with my guitar plugging into that Line 6 or to (laughs) JC 120 or something. I know that's going to be a rough gig, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we've all been there on those fly dates. Yeah. and we'll be there again a <laughs> little uh, hopefully <laughs> oh man all right number nine what keeps you motivated to continue to grow i mean and and this is an aside i guess during the pandemic and all that but you know what keeps you wanting to learn new stuff you've been doing this a long time we all have what keeps you like motivated to keep pushing and get better at playing guitar uh
1: because there's just always so much to learn I mean, yeah. there's just, just so much to learn. And, you know, when I picked up an instrument, which started as a drummer, um, the whole reason I did it was not for sex, drugs, and rock and roll and money. Uh, I wanted to do it because I just love music. And there was something about it that I had to do it. I, you know, I always find that true artists, whatever their medium is, whether they're actors, whether they're playwrights, whether they're directors, whether they're musicians, painters, you know, if you're a true artist, I think it's something that chooses you. I don't really think you have any say over it. It's just something that you have to do. And, uh, and then the reason you do it is because that's what drives you. It isn't the, the pursuit of fame. It's not the pursuit of, you know, being a billionaire. It's not, it's just, I still do it for the same reason. It's the same thing that motivates me. I just want to get better. I want to try to make new sounds, find that new chord, come up with that, cool arrangement you know that's mm-hmm. that's what does it for me
0: yeah it's like a it's you know not not to, to minimalize it but it is slightly like like a drug like a hit every time i learn something new and now it's not just even guitar it may be You know the right way to twist this eq like you were talking about your fairchild earlier or or the you know how to get this thing to sit in the in the mix the right way or how to mic a a drum a different way than i learned i get so excited about those moments you know what i mean and i live for all that stuff so it's the same when i learn a new chord or when i learn a new thing or i hope that never goes away
1: (laughs) yeah i hear you yeah it's it's uh it's a challenge. That's because you, you you know you're always learning, and, you, and there's so many people, especially nowadays. There's so many great players and artists out there that you, you were never exposed to that you can be exposed to now. Yeah, you know YouTube and and just all these Instagram, and you see all these phenomenal artists, you know, and talent, and it's inspirational to see it. You know, makes you want to get better.
0: Absolutely, a hundred percent. All right, well, that leads us to number ten, which is where do you want to be in five years? Like, do you, are you one of these guys who has a list of things you need to check off, you know, that's important to you and plans this stuff out? Or are you more go with the flow and kind of see what happens? Cause for me, well, I, I can't help, but make a list.
1: <laughs> well, at my age, I'd, I'd be happy just to be above the ground. Ah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think I just uh, really to be able to continue what I do and, and and have an outlet to do it, you know. Have venues and audiences that'll still come see me, people that'll still buy my music, uh, and and continue to be creative. That's I don't really have a plan where. Okay, you know, I did when I was younger you know, I had, you know, a hit list of, yeah, I want to get a record deal. Yeah. I'd like to get this. I'd like to be able to do this. I'd like to tour with there. I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to go to Japan, but I've been fortunate enough that I've done all that stuff. You know, I got a wreck I got a couple record deals. I got a book deal. You know, I had all the gear I needed. I've played all over the world and I just like to be able to sustain it and continue to do it at a high level. You know, I mean, I hope that my health allows me to continue to do it at a high level. I hope I get to continue to play with, with great people and meet new people that inspire me. And, uh, and that's it. And just be able to make a living doing it until, you know, I'm under the ground.
0: <laughs> yeah, And it that's, I mean, it's, it's not too much to ask. It's a great, that's a great thing. That's what I want to.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like BB, you know, you mentioned BB a little early. I mean, you know, I got, I was lucky enough to be able to tour with him a lot and, um, Right up until the end, the guy was still playing. He was on that tour bus, and he was probably one of the most generous artists I've ever met. You know, he would do his show, and they'd be in lines of, you, I'm sure you know. You've met oh, me, yeah. maybe, and he'd yeah. be a, he'd sign everybody's and meet every person. He'd be the last guy out of the room. Absolutely. He, he was amazing. He was amazing like that, and very <laughs> always very uh, encouraging, you know, um, at least he was to me, and I'm sure he was to you when you met him
0: he was so encouraging and, and like you said you could tell he wasn't there because he needed to make that last bit of money in his later years he was there because he had to be there mm-hmm. he had no other yes what he wanted to be doing you know right. and it is that's very inspiring and also yes it's inspired was very inspiring on how to be a professional for me as a kid when I saw that. Him waiting to shake every hand, to sign every autograph. Even when he had real low blood sugar because his diabetes and he wasn't feeling well. It didn't matter. You know, somebody wanted to take a picture with him, he was there. To take yeah, picture he, him.
1: He, was a, he was a really great guy.
0: Yeah, unreal. Well, dude, that's the end of the 10 questions. Thank you for doing this. He <laughs> made it. Um, there will be links to all things Johnny A down below the video here. So please support, you know, uh, he's an artist. He needs your support. Buy a record, buy a book, do, a, you know, do what you can. Um, for the rulers, we're going to do turn two here in a second. If you're not a ruler, you should become one or at least hit the subscribe button. I'd appreciate it. But, dude, thank you for doing this, man. It's really a pleasure talking pleasure to
1: you. Josh, uh, my pleasure. I love you playing. And uh, the times that we've got to hang out, I've always had a great time with you. So thank you for asking me.
0: You're welcome, man. And hopefully we get to hang again soon. And uh, all right, rulers, we'll be right back.